You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been working through this book of Galatians, uh, and we're coming to the final chapter, the sixth chapter, and the last sermon in this series. Now, the book of Galatians predominantly is a book on doctrine. It's a doctrinal book. And Paul was writing this particular letter to a group of believers in the province of Galatia where he had planted these churches. So he's kind of like the spiritual father. And there's some error that has come into the church. There's this group called the Judaizers, Jewish believers who are trying to bring the law. So it's like grace and law. They're trying to bring the law um, as a rule over the Gentiles. And Paul is writing very directly to address this doctrinal error. Um, But as he comes to the final chapter, chapter 6, he moves from doctrine to practice. How many of you know we need sound doctrine? Come on, we need healthy doctrine. But how many of you know if we have healthy doctrine and we never get outside of this building, that healthy doctrine is not helping anyone, right? So healthy doctrine should lead us to living out... Uh, our faith in an authentic way in such, of a, in, in such of a manner that it's bringing honor to God and it's impacting the lives of others. Hey, Jesus didn't come to save us just to get us to heaven. Now, how many of you know heaven's part of the package? That's good news. We have that hope to look forward to. But Jesus didn't come just to get us to heaven. Listen, if that was the greatest goal to save you, to get you to heaven, listen, you wouldn't be here now. He would have saved you and zapped you before you could mess things up, right? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. No, He saved you and He's left you here for a purpose. And the purpose is that you might be able to glorify God in your life. And then you might be able to impact others through your life. So that they would experience Christ in your life and through your life. So our salvation in Christ is not to be just in... um, Received and enjoyed, our our salvation is to be expressed, to be lived out. To be lived out as we love others and as we serve others. You know, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said this. He says, a new command I give you. You must love others as I have loved you. And he goes on in, in verse 15 to say, the world will know you're my followers by how you love. So as we're living out the faith, we should be living out what? It's not a trick question. As we live out the faith, we should be living out what? Love. That the world would know where the followers, that they would, they would recognize the presence of Jesus in, in our lives by how we love. And then in Luke 6.43, listen to what Jesus said. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying you're going to be recognized by the actions, by the deeds of your life. So so faith and works go together. Matter of fact, I would say faith and works are like companions. Like you cannot separate faith and works. It's like peanut butter and jelly. How many know peanut butter and jelly go together? Man, talking about a good sandwich, peanut butter and jelly. Or like like hydrogen and oxygen. We know today life giving water is made up of two components. What? Back to school Two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen. Now, how many of you know if you have two parts hydrogen alone, you don't have water, right? Or if you have oxygen alone, nothing wrong with oxygen. Let me know oxygen is good. (laughs) Nothing wrong with oxygen. But if you have oxygen alone, you don't have life-giving water. It's It's the bringing together of the two 
two components, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, that creates this component we call water, life-giving water. But the two, hydrogen and oxygen, if you can think of it like this, they complement each other. So it is, so it is with faith and works. The salvation received by grace should be lived out in a way that, ser- that serves others. We're not saved by works, but the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives should produce good works. Now, let me detour here just for a moment to be very clear in how I say this, is that you cannot save yourself by works. You cannot work hard enough. You cannot be good enough. There is absolutely no way you can earn salvation. There's only one way that we can be saved, and it's through the provision of Jesus Christ, through Christ alone. So we're saved through Christ, not by works. Matter of fact, Paul says this really well in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your works so that anyone can boast. So we're saved by what? By grace. We're saved by grace through faith. It's interesting, in the, in the next verse... In verse 10, how many of you know 10 follows 9? Even in Arkansas, 10 follows 9. In the next verse, so in other words, in the same context, Paul's talked about grace, we're saved by grace, not by works. But in verse 10, he goes on to write these words. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. To do good works that God's plan that God prepared in advance for us to do. So God expects, God expects good works. So there's, there's this complementing of faith and works. And Paul kind of brings that to the surface as he's closing this letter. He's saying, okay, we've been talking about faith. We've been talking about grace. Now let's talk about how we should live this out. So look with me to Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. If you don't have your scripture, it's on the screen. You can follow along. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Notice verse 2. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Notice verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Notice verse 9. Let us not become weary. And doing good. For at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, so what does it look like to live out our faith? You know, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a personal decision. This is what I mean by that. You have to make the decision for yourself. Nobody can make the decision for you to be a follower of Christ. Nor can you make the decision for someone else. Now, don't we wish we could? I have some family members. I wish I could make the decision for them that they would be a follower of Jesus. But I can't. 
nor can you. So every individual has to make their own decision. It's a personal decision. It's a personal choice. But the personal decision we make must be lived out in a public fashion. Your personal decision to follow Jesus must be, if it's authentic, if it's real, because Jesus said what will be recognized by our fruit, must be lived out in a public fashion in which it our faith is positively impacting others. The, the, the Apostle Paul clearly addresses this here, calling us to live what I would call an others-focused faith, not a self-focused faith. And one of the challenges in our culture today, and you have to deal with this every day just like I do, if you watch TV, if you listen to the radio, if you go on the Internet, what you see and what you're inundated with is our culture wants you to think it's all about you. And it's not all about you. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you. Go ahead and tell them. It's not about you. Man, we, are, we have so been deceived. So we're not living a self-focused faith. We should, we're called to live an others-focused faith. And others focus face. So what does that look like? Paul lays it out for us here. Three statements. The first is this. We're called to this, to restore the fallen. Look back to verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, should restore him gently. You know, here's the reality. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ, people who love Jesus like you, they fail, they fall, and they can be deceived. And what happens? They stray. They get stranded. They get separated from God. And when that happens, Paul says that those who are spiritual, that's us. Maybe at times you don't think of yourself as being spiritual, but if you're a follower of Jesus, then the scripture says you're a saint. You're a spiritual one. He says to those who are spiritual, you should restore them gently. Here's the reality. We have an adversary that wants to mislead us, right? 1 Peter 5.8. Very clear. Be self-controlled and alert. For your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a royal lion, seeking those whom he may devour. What does he want to do? He wants to separate you. He wants to lead you away from God. Not only that, Galatians chapter 5, we have this conflict happening within us called our sinful nature. There's things that you do that you don't want to do. What is it? Sinful nature. So we have these two things playing out in our lives. And oftentimes as a result of that, individuals make poor decisions, wrong decisions, and they find themselves away from God. And Paul says, you who are spiritual, you need to restore them gently, to go after them, to challenge them, to encourage them, to bring them back to repentance, to bring them back to right relationship with God. He says that we're to restore. Interesting, the word restore here, the Greek word in the Greek text, it's the word that's used for mending nets, mending fishing nets, or setting a broken bone. Now, if someone fell and they, and they broke their arm, what, you go to a doctor, Right? The doctor would look at your arm and says, oh, broke arm. So what would he do? He would reset the bone and put a cast on the bone. He would take that which is broken and reset it to its right position so that it might heal. Paul says you and I have that responsibility. As we're living in others' focused faith, we don't just kick people when they're down. We don't avoid people when they're down. We don't, we don't throw rocks at people when they mess up. No, what do we do? He says, we come alongside them. We encourage them. We challenge them. We call them to repentance that they might be restored. So first and foremost, we, 
we restore the fallen. The, the second thing that, that Paul addresses here about living a, an others-focused faith is this. He says we're called to help the struggling. Look to verse 2. Back, look back to verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. What do you think that looks like? How do we flesh that out? What, what does that look like? Or maybe what's an example where you've seen that happen in the last week or last month? Like we're, I know it doesn't seem like it, but we're interacting now. This is called conversation. <laughs> Bring them a meal. So they're having a struggle, they're having a difficult time. You care enough about them that you go home and you cook something up. If you're like me, I don't cook up well. So I go to Bob Evans and I order. They have these family meals. <laughs> and I deliver family meals from Bob Evans. But we, we, just, we express that we care through something as simple as a chicken biscuit. Come on. It's not, it's not difficult. It's not complicated. We, we help the struggle. Someone else, carry one another's burdens. Say, watch their kids. I have two, 15 and 17. I'll bring them over this afternoon. <laughs> watch their kids. Man, as parents, do you ever feel like you're like on your last nerve? Like, man, if somebody doesn't help you, you're going to strangle these kids. God help us, right? And someone calls and says, hey, can I give you a break? Because you're wore out. You're pressed. You're stressed to the end. And someone calls and they say, hey, can, can I just watch your kids for the afternoon? Can they come over and swim in the pool? And you're like, wow. You just feel like the load's been lightened, right? Nothing. Listen, that's not complicated. Not difficult. You're just watching someone's kids. Someone else. I'm almost deaf. Okay, so you're going to have to talk really loud. Write a note. note. Miss Olivia, thank you. I didn't see you back there. Write a note. Miss Olivia has written some wonderful notes to my children. We went to Belize together. My daughter Grace, my son Caleb, and Miss Olivia on a mission trip. And, And she wrote some wonderful notes to help my kids who, at 15 and 17, it's tough being a teenager today, struggling. A note from a, a saint so impacted their lives. Again, not difficult, not complicated. We're helping those who are struggling. You know, at Grace Covenant, we, on the Cornelius campus, we have a, a group of ladies, mostly retired ladies, who get together and they knit. They take yarn and they make things. And as they're making things, they pray and they fellowship, and they laugh, and they have a great time. But they make things like blankets and, and hats. And then they take the things that they make to um, cancer, um, to oncology places where people are getting chemo treatments. They take these things to a crisis pregnancy center. And Just the other day, I received an email from a man that I don't know to this day. I haven't met this man. Uh, his name's Thad. I want you to listen to this email. Pastor Farrell, I'm a recently diagnosed cancer patient and started chemo treatments yesterday at Lake Norman Oncology. Two ladies from your congregation representing one of your ministries visited me during my treatment, Bobby and Ann. They brought me inspiration materials, toiletries, and a beautiful knitted blanket and hat. 
That's a wonderful ministry. I felt like the man beaten beside the road and no one stops to help. But the Samaritan looked upon him as a neighbor and helped. Bobby, Ann, and the others in this ministry don't know me, but they looked upon me with compassion as a neighbor. Please pass along my thanks to all involved in the ministry. It's a wonderful message of God's love. Is that not awesome? Here's a man who's going in for chemo treatments. And he gets a, he gets a blanket that's been knitted. He gets a, a cap that's been knitted. Man, talking about lightening his load. Well, Paul says, we want to restore the fallen. We want to help the struggling. And the third statement he makes here, found in verse 9 and 10, about living in an others-focused faith, is this. Do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. Look back to verse 9 and 10. He says, let us not become weary in what? In doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good. To who? To all people. To do good. Recently, I was having a conversation with a gentleman who proclaimed himself to be an agnostic, which I think is very interesting. It's a whole other conversation. But we're, we're talking, and this is what he said to me. He says, you know, you Christians, you are just a bunch of do-gooders. I said, thanks. I said, man, if that's the worst thing you can say about us, then we're doing pretty good. Because that's the very thing Paul says here. He says what? He says, man, just look for the opportunity to do something good to all people in the church, outside of the church, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Well, you're on the lookout. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to live our lives not for ourselves, but for others. Therefore, we're looking for opportunity not to do complicated things, not to do difficult things. And one of the things I'm convinced is that we make things so complicated in the church today that oftentimes we paralyze ourselves. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be difficult. We're just looking for the opportunity to do good to everyone. So what does that look like? It means we share a kind word. We, we affirm others. We, we brighten someone's day. Listen, we simply need to train ourselves. To look for the opportunities. You know, in Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Paul says this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit. Consider the interests of others, others better than yourself. So we're just looking for opportunity to do good. As we're living out this others-focused faith. And as we do that, what's happening? God's glorified and people are impacted through, through your life. Possibly, possibly you've heard me use this illustration before. But I try to live this out on a daily basis. In my thinking, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's what I call bucket dippers. And then there's what I call bucket fillers. The bucket dippers are those who consistently, continually dip out of your bucket. In other words, they drain your life. Hang around them long enough and they'll leave you empty. How many of you know some bucket dippers? Don't look around, straight ahead. (laughs) 
When you see a bucket dipper coming your way, what do you do? You run. I know I'm a pastor and I know I'm not supposed to do this, so forgive me. But if I'm in the grocery store and I see a bucket dipper coming, man, I head down the other aisle as fast as I can. I'm just like you. I don't like people to dip out of my bucket. I don't like people to drain life out of me. I avoid them. Just being honest. And you do too. But then there's bucket fillers. The bucket fillers are people who pour into your bucket. They add value to you. They encourage you. They affirm you. They make you feel better about who you are and who God's created you to be. You love hanging out. You love hanging out around the bucket fillers. You see them. You're not running from them. You're running to them because you know. You know they're going to add value to your life. And my challenge you today is this: be a bucket filler. Again, it's not complicated. It's not difficult. But we're just looking for the opportunity. Paul says, always be looking for the opportunity so that you might do good to everyone, so that you might that you might pour into their bucket. And as you choose to live life this way and authentically flesh out your faith, then what are you doing? You're sowing good seeds that'll bring a good harvest. Good seeds that'll bring a good harvest. So let me leave you with this, because as, as Paul is writing this, if you go back to verse 7 and 8, he talks about, he talks about sowing and reaping. Remember, verse 7 he says, Don't be deceived, God will not be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, it's that that he'll reap. He goes on to talk about sowing to the negative and sowing to the positive. I just want to kind of focus on the sowing to the positive because here's the exciting news. As we sow good seeds of restoring the falling, helping the struggling, and doing good to everyone, then we can expect a good harvest. Because God is faithful to His Word. You sow good seeds, what happens? You reap a good harvest. Now, we don't give to get. We don't help others just so we can be helped. But in Luke 6.33, listen to what Jesus said. Give and it will be given to you. In good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, it will be poured into your life. But the principle of God's word is true. So as we sow good seed, we get to reap a harvest. So let me, let me quickly give you three, three principles, three reaping pr- principles. I'm a part-time farmer gardener. I, I, love, I love playing in the garden. So these are some things I've learned. The first is this, is that you, you reap what you sow. I don't plant corn seed and go looking for tomato plants. When I plant corn seed, I look for corn plants. Yeah, you don't get, you don't plant, if you don't know, you don't plant the seed and get any of corn. You get a stalk. But what you, you, you reap what you sow. Here's the exciting thing, you reap in multiplication of what you sow. In other words, it's multiplied. For example, staying with the corn, if I sow one seed, one kernel of corn, I don't get just one kernel of corn. If I sow one seed of corn, my hope is if the squirrels will leave it alone, I get one stalk of corn. And on that stalk of corn, there's approximately three ears of corn that have, and I did, I did a little counting, 750 kernels of corn. 
I planted one kernel and I had a multiplication of 750 times. My point is, you reap in multiplication of what, of what you sow. But also, here's the third principle. You reap in a different season than what you sow. In other words, I don't plant corn on Monday and pick corn on Tuesday. There's a time, there's a, there's a season of growth until I get to harvest. And so it is in your life. You're probably not going to reap in the same season in which you sow. But if you continue to consistently sow good seed, you will reap a good harvest. Why? Because God is true to the promise of His Word. He's faithful. Now, some of it you'll reap in this life. Uh, If I had time this morning, I could tell you a dozen stories of how God's just brought good things into my life. And He will yours too. He's no respecter of individuals as you're sowing good seed. So some of it we'll experience in this life. Some of it you won't experience till eternity. Early this morning I was working on a series that's two out. We're going to do a series on the end times. What's going to happen in the end? And one of the things exciting for me that I discovered this morning, in the end we're going to be rewarded. The scripture says you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to reward you according to your work, according to your deeds. So we're, we're reaping a harvest now, presently, and there's a harvest that's yet to come. But as you sow good seed, you'll reap a good harvest. So what are we called to do? We're called to restore the fallen, to help the struggling, to do good to everyone. And as we, as we sow these seed, well, there's a harvest that comes. So here's the summary today. And it's really simple. Put your faith to work. That's what Paul's saying. Put your doctrine to work. Don't just profess your faith in Jesus. Listen, live your faith out every day. That people might experience Jesus Christ in your life and through your life. So live the faith. I want to leave you with a quote, one of my favorite quotes from John Wesley. This is what he wrote. He says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the times you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning. For the wonder of your grace that's brought about the miracle of salvation in our lives. God, I thank you for, for the way you have blessed us with grace and mercy. Bringing us into right relationship. The Lord, as, as we see here in the Word, and even as we talked about this morning. Lord, it's great to profess the faith. But after we profess the faith, it's time to put the faith to work. And so... Lord, first, we would just ask that you would forgive us this morning for having a tendency to live a self-focused life, a self-focused faith. Forgive us, Lord, for making it about us. When you called us not to live for ourselves, but to live for others. So forgive us, I pray. And Holy Spirit, I pray for my friends here this morning as well as for myself. Two things specifically. First, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd give us eyes to see. To see the fallen. To see the struggling. To see the opportunity to do good. It's it's all around us. It's a reality of living in a fallen world. 
There's fallen people. There's struggling people. So Holy Spirit, first I pray, help us to see, to open our eyes to the reality of the needs around us. May we not just go through life blindly focused on ourselves, but Holy Spirit, help us to see. And secondly, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would have a bias to action. That we wouldn't just see and walk away, but that we would have a bias to move, a bias to act, a bias to make the phone call, to make the meal, to stop by for the visit, to help the neighbor who's struggling, to encourage the grieving. There's so many ways that this works out in our day-to-day lives. But Lord, I pray that we would have a bias to action, that we wouldn't say, well, someone else will do it. No, may we be the ones who would step up to say, I'll do it. A bias to action. Lord, in that, what I know is that you're going to be honored and people's lives are going to be eternally, eternally impacted. And Lord, we're going to sow some good seed. It's going to bring a good harvest. So Holy Spirit, I pray again for everyone in the room today. Help us to that end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.